the old world is ending, and we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the structural problems in our world and the real solutions that we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse into a collaborative and sustainable futuristic society that serves all life. You may think it's an impossible dream, but the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Zachary Marlowe, Matt Holton, and Amanda Smith. And together, when we can move past this economic absurdity to come together and actualize our collective potential to create something completely new, we are Moneyless Society. Hello, and welcome to episode number three of the Moneyless Society podcast, where we host an all-inclusive space for discourse about why and how to transition humanity out of a money-hungry, soul-sucking, irrationally destructive dystopia into an egalitarian socioeconomic model premised on sustainability, abundance, and technological advancement made possible by the application of imaginative engineering, scientific application, and above all, collaboration instead of competition. Without further ado, we dive into the how of a moneyless society with none other than Jay Sable of One Community Global. This is an exciting episode for me personally because coming from such a conservative background, collaborative efforts are still foreign and quite fascinating to me. This guy, along with hundreds of volunteers over time, has materialized the plans and blueprints for how to convert the industrial world of toxic individualism and hyper-consumerism into an abundance-serving, sustainable model that's duplicable nearly anywhere, and the best part is, it's all open source. So cheers to Jay, One Community Global, and the spirit of collaboration. Jay, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us all a little bit about your biggest project? Sure. My name is Jay Sable. I'm the executive director of One Community Global, and we are creating open source tools, tutorials, resources, and do-it-yourself instructions for all aspects of sustainable living and ultimately as a pathway to a global resource-based economy and a world that works for everyone. Okay, now for now for the people who don't know what any of those words mean, what, is, what does any of that mean? <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, all right. Simply stated, uh, that was my elevator speech. Uh, yeah, simply stated, we're, we're, you know, we're creating blueprints for sustainable community creation, and a resource-based economy is where all goods and services are available to all people without the need for barter or trade or money. So the potential for a moneyless society where everything that everyone needs is at their disposal. And so one community sees our as a pathway to creating that through open source, sustainable eco community design, where within the community, money won't be necessary. So living a cooperative, collaborative life, and we're open sourcing and free sharing everything necessary to build these communities and to create a global cooperative and collaborative of sustainable communities working together to create more and more open source, free shared tools, resources, everything necessary to replicate everything that we're doing and so much more. That is awesome. One of the one of the main things that I really love about your project just is the fact that it's open source. I mean, there's there's other people out there that are that are building like eco communities, you know, sustainable type, um, you know, designs and things like that. But the fact that you've gone the extra mile and just really made this available to everyone, uh, t- to me, speaks volumes. And um, I mean, t- that's kind of like the difference, I think, between a lot of what other people are doing and, and, and then the people who are actually kind of putting their money where their mouth is and, and, and putting this out there for everyone to use. This has been coming up a lot lately in conversation. And I actually had a great weekend with my family recently who I haven't seen in, in years, literally years with all my brothers together. And 
my dad got real drunk and we were talking about revolution in the system and capitalism and all this stuff. And I kept being like, dad, you're not a capitalist. You're not, you're not for this thing. And he just kept being asking like, you know, what is the solution? What is the answer? Okay. We know the system sucks. What's the alternative. And I think the simplest way of boiling it down is that it's about, it's about restructuring society so that the people can fix it. And it's about changing things so that it's not a consolidation into the hands of the people with capital, but it's, it's, it's in the hands of everyone because people, people are the solution, no matter what, no matter what the application, no matter what the technology, no matter what the design or the end goal of society is, I think giving people the power to uh, innovate and to change and adapt to the world around us really is what we're, what we're trying, what we're striving for. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I, I think that every step that we take to free ourselves from the burden of debt and the, you know, the thumb of economic servitude, uh, the closer we get to true freedom, you know, and from our perspective, one community is a model designed to create that for people. If people can build their own houses, if they can build their own energy infrastructure, if they can run their own home-based schooling programs, community-based schooling programs, you can start checking off very quickly the major expenses in most people's lives. And with every one of those that you check off, you set yourself a little bit more free, you know, and the more free people are, the more resources that they have to contribute to, you know, creating a better world for everybody from our perspective, you know, and so that's, that's a big foundation of what we're, what we're about. So maybe I'm just stating the obvious, but it sounds like the overall design is a small scale resource-based economy model and, and in duplicating it globally, you uh, ultimately achieve a resource-based economy globally. Exactly. I guess at some point it all becomes interconnected because everybody's doing the same thing, just like people are doing the same thing now with the monetary system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the whole Buckminster Fuller quote, you know, rather than fight against the existing system, create a new paradigm that's better and make the old one obsolete. So our idea with creating sustainable communities to demonstrate them as easy enough, affordable enough to replicate and attractive enough that the idea will spread on its own, you know, and then allow human ingenuity to take it from there and invite anybody who wants to to participate. And if we make them attractive enough and demonstrate the lifestyle as superior to the way that most people are living right now, then, you know, nature will take its course. You know, we want to create a viral movement of replicating teacher demonstration hubs that teach other people how to create teacher demonstration hubs. So it's like a self-replicating model of solutions. And that's definitely the most out of system solution that I've personally run across so far. You know, um, others would uh, support in system solutions that hopefully eventually lead out of the system. But this seems to be pretty, pretty much outside of the borders of a monetary system, aside from the fact that we still have to have money to, to, to make these things come to fruition to some degree. Yeah, I mean, the more it develops, the more it becomes sustainable, you know, and we've designed the model to be flexible enough so that it can work inside the system or outside the system. We don't have any problem with government funded, you know, teacher demonstration hubs. That'd be great. You know, uh, the more, the better. Right. So, yeah. But the idea is that the real, the core of the model is that it creates uh, freedom for people and creating that global cooperative and collaborative of organizations working together to develop the solutions for humanity you know, all over the world. And by open sourcing it, you know, we don't have to be involved. So if people look at what we're doing and say, oh, it's, well, I wouldn't do it that way, or mm, I disagree with those values, or I don't really care about world change, or I want to do it for other reasons, whatever those are, 
great, wonderful. We need as many versions of this as possible. You know, and a big foundation of what we're doing is teaching people to like share transparently what you're about so that other people that agree with you can come and help you to create this, you know, whatever version of that is and providing those nuts and bolts, grassroots tools to, uh, to start with. If I could ask one question and then we'll go in all other directions from here, if you like, but I'm curious about how you arrived at the point of being collaborative, because coming from such a conservative background, um, collaboration is still very foreign and fascinating to me. And so it's just uh, nothing sort of enthralling to look at your website and the plethora of designs and solutions that you offer that you've meticulously uh, blueprinted and just handed out for free. So how did you get to that mindset and being okay with what you just explained, just saying, yeah, here, take it, do whatever you want with it. Because as we know, capital is what our society is based on, uh, which is uh, basically possession. And you know, if you don't have possession, you don't have status, which means you don't have survival. So how did you get away from that paradigm? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it was definitely a process. One community was a for-profit model before it was a non-profit model. And thinking about how we got there, you know, it was really born from fire and conflict. You know, when we were a for-profit model, we were starting to think about becoming a non-profit model. And we had core team members that were really against that. They were really about capitalizing it. And um, our goal was always about world change. And so uh, through that process of debate internally, it got us really, really clear that to really maximize world change, it couldn't be a for-profit model. And so through that, we ended up basically voting all the people that were trying to control things through. I mean, there was a member of our team that said, oh yeah, like we'll build these communities, but we'll control the food. And I'm like, wait, that, that goes, hold on, let's return to our value values and look at what we're doing this for. That's a crazy statement. Like, no, no, like we'll, we'll, they'll be able to build their own homes and things like that, but they'll have to buy the food. And it's just like, whoa, how is that any different than the way that we're living right now? That's crazy talk. Like that doesn't work, you know? And so through conversations like that, it helped us get really clear that that's not what we're going to create or what we're interested in. And then through that, we realized like, Hey, if we really want to change the world, we need an open source free shared model because there is no one model that's going to fix things. And through projects like the Venus project, you know, and what it is that their, you know, their grand vision of a recreation of society as a whole, we were able to look at that and say, well, what is the path to getting to that? I mean, that's an inspirational model right there, you know, and if we're, if that's the goal, and if we're going to really achieve that successfully, you know, then we need to start with values that reflect that goal and then say, okay, now what are baby steps that anybody would be able to take? What does that look like? And so as we continue to talk about that, and we really, you know, brought it all together into a working model of like, okay, we can actually do this, then it became really clear that open source sustainability, you know, and highest good were our top three values and everything else falls underneath that umbrella. Uh, I was looking for something to latch onto there because there's just so much to talk about here. There's so much that I want to say. There's, I really feel like in these early episodes, I feel like there's so much doubt and skepticism that we have to address you know, in this position, and I, I'm sure you deal with this all the time, that people are like, oh, I'm not taking money out of it. I mean, it's like it, we are really setting fire to the ultimate golden calf. I mean, this is the ultimate heretical thing to want in this society where everything is based on the dollar, everything is based on and evaluated at money. I mean, if it makes money, not only does that, is that what makes you successful in this society, but it's, it's, it's a good in itself. It's seen as inherently good for something to make money. And that's ultimately, I think Peter Joseph says it really beautifully, it's a, it, it's a value system disorder that we are experiencing as a, as a people, as a, 
as a body politic. We are diseased with this value system that the value that we, we place, we place value in something completely abstract, something that has yeah. nothing to do with actual sustainability or life or growth or freedom or any of these things that we say that they're about, but it's basically just money. It's in, in and of itself. And that really br brings me back to this, uh, the first conversation I had on New Year's Eve of this year. It was the first interchange I had with another human being of this year. And, and I borrowed a sparkler from some guy so I could uh, get a, a shot for this film that I'm working on. And he asked, what is your film? What is your film about? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, it's about homelessness. It's about climate change. And he was like, climate change, you know, that's, we're, we're it's kind of over, right? We're, you know, we're, there's nothing we can do about that. And I was just like, I really felt pressed in this because I'm, I'm a hyper social being. I think we all are. I mean, and we are so alienated from our in, innate nature as social beings that Really, I, I feel like I thrive when I'm interacting with somebody else, when I have to prove something. And that's this whole episode. I have that feeling, right? I have to prove something. We have to prove this. And I just fired back and all this stuff came into my head that I, I guess it was in my gut, but it wasn't, I couldn't articulate it yet. And it was basically like, absolutely, we can fix this. Absolutely, we can change because as soon as all it is really the simplest fix, the most prime and fundamental change that we can make is to shift our values to shift the value system that everything that's wrong with the world right now is extremely profitable the fossil fuel industries fracking guns destruction war i mean this economy is, thrives on scarcity and iniquity and sickness and pain and anything any problem is incredibly way more prof profitable than fixing it so I, I just talked to this guy who was a financial analyst of all people and i had him i had him going it was a really amazing talk but it was just all about how if we can shift that value system and and take profit out of it and all the p potential all the energy and effort that people put into just generating profit to feed their families to make more profit for its own sake to to survive in this construct we can actualize human humans real potential if we meet people's needs then it frees them up to actually do what they really want to do to have ideas, to dream. And if we change that value system ultimately to life, to sustainability, because we are at this point with our environment that we are destroying our, our, our home. That's the point is, is shifting our value system from something arbitrary and me mechanistic and industrial and destructive to life and freedom and human potential and to invest all our resources, which the earth is, is, is abundant within resources and humans, we are resources, that to invest those resources and shift them to life to us, to earth. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, back to the money, to the topic that you started with on there, I, you know, I don't, I think most people would agree that it's not money that people want, it's the things that money provide. So from our perspective, the one community model is that if we can provide a more, a, a richer, more full, what most people would uh, identify as a luxurious lifestyle, you know, having access to all the things that they want through like communal tool, tool sheds and, you know, toy sheds and that kind of stuff as well, then, um, you know, people can live a lifestyle of a, of a millionaire without having to have all the stuff because they have access to all of that stuff, you know? And so from there, we can create that paradigm shift and that value shift where people realize like, oh, wow, wait, it's not money that I want. It's the things that money can buy. And, you know, and the, the experience, the enriched and more fulfilling experience of life can be provided uh, in a different way. And so from right. that place, if we can open source and free share that, that's that idea of, of making it easy enough, affordable enough, and showing it as attractive enough so that the idea will spread its own. Once people realize like, oh, wait, 
if I always have access to a jet ski, then I don't need to own a jet ski. You know, if I always access to a motorcycle, then I don't need to own a motorcycle. And meanwhile, I live in a community. So if I want to do a pickup game of football or soccer or something like that, I can organize that immediately. And everything I want is within walking distance. And I don't have bills that I'm thinking about all the time. I mean, most people I think would agree that that is a more enjoyable lifestyle. And that's what we want to demonstrate and show. And then from there, like you said, Marlo, you know, once people, once they're out from underneath that pressure of bills, you know, and have the freedom and the time. Historically, we've shown that cultures have flourished, have time of like their their artistic creativity and their output goes radically up when when the civilization is living in abundance. You know, and so our idea with one community is to create, you know, pockets of abundance and open source and free share that so that other people can create pockets of abundance as well. And from within that place where everything is managed and taken care of, you have all your needs met, then you know, have a really clear pathway for sharing that with other people as a pathway to global transformation. I think that's really great. And another point I kind of want to, um, you know, piggyback on that too, is, is the designs that you're making there, they, they cultivate community and relationships and, and social, you know, interaction. Uh, and, and it's almost a value shift from materialism to, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, I don't want to say socialism, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? It's a, a more social community foundation, uh, you know, to live your life by. And, and to me, it's, we've gotten away from that so much in modern society that it's really something that's so fulfilling, uh, you know, that, that I, I think a lot of people won't want uh, you know, a lot of the things that are kind of considered luxuries today, you know, I mean, people kind of dream of, you know, owning a yacht or, or you know, big mansions and things like that. But, I mean, what, what good is it if you're alone, you know, if you don't have anybody to share that with? I think that's really what a lot of people want a lot of the time, too, if, from life. They, they want the money. They want the, they want the things they can buy. But a lot of the time, they want it just so they can be comfortable and, and have friends and have family and have those good times, you know, and have social interactions, uh, you know, and be a part of the community, contribute, you know, really, really develop relationships with other people, help people, you know, and, and reciprocate, you know, this community sort of reciprocation. And that's one thing that I think communities like yours are really going to foster and, and, and help build and grow. And, um, and, and I kind of like it too, because the Venus project, you know, it's, it's so far out, like it, it, it's a wonderful concept. Don't get me wrong. I love the Venus project. I love all the designs. I love everything they're doing, but it's kind of, it's almost like a, another world. It's it's so far away from from what we have right now. But your designs and the community that you're building right now, it's realistic. It, it, it's almost it's so close you can taste it, <laughs> essentially. And, and it's not these super high tech things that might come to fruition, you know, several hundred years from now. These are real designs that are possible now, like with shipping containers and and you know straw bale huts and things like that. And 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 it, you you think about it, you think about it and you're like, oh, I don't want to live in a shipping container, but the some of, some of the designs that you're coming up with there, man, they're really cool, you know, and, and I would love to see some of this stuff actually, you know, come to fruition in my lifetime. And I think it will. Honestly, I think you got an excellent shot of really doing this and, and doing it soon, probably within the next, I'd say, five to 10 years, you know, one of these communities actually coming together here. And um, to me, that's really exciting, you know, and, and I'd love to be a part of something like that, too, because right now I live I live in an apartment complex, right? And we barely know anybody around us. And, and almost everyone here owns a dog. 
right? <laughs> but nobody hardly knows each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like people are owning the dogs and kind of trying to substitute, you know, for these for these relationships that would normally be there that we that we that are ingrained in our DNA. You know, in our in our I mean, in we're, our we're human we're beings. social beings, we're inherently exactly. social. We evolved because we work together, not because we make tools and industrialize. We we evolved and and flourished and we're able to create abundance because we're able to do this weird thing where we like kind of merge our consciousness and work together as one. But we retain this individual sense of ourself. And the individual is what the society is obsessed with so extremely that the the actual sense of individuality. The, the beautiful differences that we have that arise that we celebrate each other for vanish because it's such it, it becomes this obsession of the individual not individual not being an individual of this conformist thing of 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 being like your neighbor and and being you know embodying the vision of an individual that society and the media and culture and all these things put out there uh, i want to shift gears here a little bit and uh, kind of bring everybody kind of zoom out a little bit i do kind of want to talk about the venus project and this kind of uh, utopian, protopian, whatever uh, view of a large-scale global movement, because I think a lot of people just can't imagine it, and that's really what's keeping us from experiencing it. Is that people can't imagine? We everybody fucking knows this system sucks. Everybody. I just went to the grocery store. Everybody there is miserable, blooping their little items on the self-checkout. It is a miserable way of life. You sit in traffic. It, it, you're in your box, and then you you get into your other box. It's just miserable. It sucks, and everybody knows it sucks. But they can't see an, a better world. They can't imagine something better. And all these any attempt has been demonized as socialism. But it's just like, do we really want to continue being capitalist, moneyist, or do we want to be socialist? It, it, not in not in any kind of a reductive definition of what that word means, but in a, in an ism, a belief system that is based around people. That's yeah. an excellent clarification. Um, and speaking of clarifications, you mentioned the Venus Project. Being a supporter of them and uh, a regional coordinator in training and um, volunteer on their social media boards, I can point out um, the contrast quite easily between um, One Community Global, per se, and the, the Venus Project's aims and proposals. The Venus Project could be realized in sooner than we think if we were just concentrating our efforts on using resources instead of money to access resources. We could build all of those fantastic sci-fi things that you see in their aims and proposals much quicker than you think. Uh, but what I see in One Community Global is the potential to bridge us from here to there. Like One Community Global design could be the bridge between now and then, because it is, like Jay has said, duplicable on a small scale. It, it helps people to make those baby steps and wrap their heads around a concept like the Venus Project without just throwing their hands up and going, there's no way that could ever happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly our goal. I mean, I've written articles specifically about that, saying that, because the only, like you said, the goal is if society were on board with the idea and they, they realize... Peter Joseph did an amazing talk, many amazing talks exactly about this, where he's just like, look, if we found another planet right now, exactly like ours with all of our resources, and we said how we're going to build the ultimate society, we absolutely could set it up right now. We have all the resources, technology, knowledge, everything that's necessary to do that successfully. You know, So it's not a lack of ability or knowledge. It's a lack of socioeconomic support. You know, And so we see one community as a way, you know, create enough one community 
communities and enough people looking at that going, wow, this is amazing. We could build a community, but man, these things are working all over the world. Why don't we, why don't we start transitioning society to this way of living where we can meet everybody's needs? And once you get enough people on board with that, now you have a movement that could really start building, you know, that technologically advanced next step version. I, f- I feel like uh, I can't, I can't help but uh, bring up uh, a, a great thinker, somebody that I've really, uh, especially come to in the last year, and his, it, it's B- Murray Bookchin. Who, uh, it, if you're re- if you're listening to this, just Google Murray Bookchin. Just Google him and read him and listen to him speak. He's honestly one of the most incredible uh, figures of the 20th century. He, I won't give you the full life story, but he's an amazing figure. That that uh, he he was in the Communist Party when he was nine years old. He was leading labor labor strikes and and unionization efforts in the great depression and he just he he got to the point where they were going to demand coordinating strikes and they had the power and people just asked for more money and he was like no we can't do that we have to change the system and he bridged off from there and basically became one of the first environmentalists one of the first real social environmentalists he wrote a book uh, about pesticides that predated silent spring in the 50s and he was talking about automation in the 60s he was talking about the fact that we we are we can go beyond scarcity, and that's an amazing thing. Is that we've had this technology forever. We've had this technology for almost all of the 20th century, but we just we just don't use it. We don't actualize it because we're stuck in this for profit model. And one of the central points that that he talks about in his work, uh, there's an, an idea called democratic confederalism. And I'm not that big on theory. I'm not that I'm not that academic myself. I mostly just go from the gut. But really, what you're talking about epitomizes what he is, uh, what he envisioned, and it's decentralization on a mass level that p- small communities can take care of themselves and meet their needs and actualize the the resources in their community in their land. You know, okay, we have we have this resource, we have this, we, so use it to, to enrich the community and networks of communities, commun- communes of communes. Communalism is another beautiful idea that he uh, articulated, and, and it all builds into this this grand philosophy, this wonderful ism called social ecology. That basically sees humans as a part of nature, as not separate from it, that we are a part of it and we exist sort of within its laws. I mean, I think Buckminster Fuller really talked about the same things, that if we can just align ourselves to nature's principles, everything optimizes itself. Nature is far more intelligent than we are alone because we are nature. And ultimately, we, we as human beings need to organize ourselves around ecological principles, not economic principles. And that is, I think, a boilerplate statement for me as a person and for this show, I think, and for our movement. Yeah, here, here. No, I think that's a great point, too. And, and I've heard that, you know, that, that comparison a lot, e- ecology versus, uh, you know, economy. And, and, it, and it's, it's, it's as if a lot of people just think that, you know, we are separate, like, you know, our, our society is just this thing that's cut off from nature or something. But in reality, we're so completely dependent upon it, you know, far beyond anything that we could imagine. We're not, we're not separate from the earth. We're part of it. And if we don't realize that, uh, you know, like Peter Joseph has said before, we're going we're gonna to find it out the hard way. Yeah, we have the potential to truly steward this planet and create heaven on earth, you know, and there are people that are stewarding their environments. And we already are collaborative, cooperative people, despite what it seems the society is doing as a whole. If you look at the the microcosm of the macrocosm, if you look at, you know, the corporations that are working together and the family units that are working together and the groups that are working together, like we are collaborative, cooperative 
people. I mean, that's who we are, who humanity is. So that's why I believe that creating a space where everybody's needs are met, like I said, historically has shown that that's where true innovation and growth and creativity springs from because people have the resources and energy to put into that. And right now there's so many people that are just struggling to make ends meet. So many people that are struggling just to get by day to day. You know, if we could remove that barrier and then create a pathway for those people to help other people to free themselves as well, then um, that's a path to a totally different world within our lifetime. I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it God only knows how many more times. Money is a middleman, and nobody likes a middleman. So I don't, I can't fathom why uh, the majority of society doesn't see it as that and, and doesn't realize that money is just the thing that's between them and the resources, as we've all stated in various ways in this very conversation. So to get back into the vision of an RBE, a resource-based economy, what does that look like to you, Jay, um, in contrast, or I should say, uh, considering your designs? How, how did you incorporate, assuming that's what it's based off of uh, uh, overall, how did you incorporate the, uh, the vision of a, a resource-based economy in, into your designs? Yeah, I mean, on the most basic level, the idea was to look at the primary expenses of living and come up with sustainable solutions. By sustainable, meaning long-term solutions to those expenses that eliminates them or massively reduces those and create an environment where money isn't necessary and everything is provided for everyone within that environment and build it on cooperation, collaboration, bring everybody together with this idea that, hey, if we all work together, you know, we can pool our resources and pool our labor resources to maintain this environment and in so doing free up our collective time you know the easiest the easiest analogy for that or example of that would be that you know it only takes two or three people to prepare food for 50 people and if you have three people that are amazing chefs and love to prepare food that's not work to those three three people that's that's a gift that they're giving to the community and now you have 47 other people that could be doing something else that would also be a gift to the rest of the community and you know when you run the numbers on that it doesn't really take that much labor to actually maintain an environment like this where people People would have more free time than they know what to do with, except in the community environment, you build in all these recreational options and contribution to that as well. And now you've created the equivalent of a club med type of experience, but it's just life. You know, it's life surrounded by so many things to do, none of which cost any money, all within walking distance with people of shared values and goals. So what I hear is um, ultimately, eliminating the need for money to access resources will free up the, the biggest, most vital resource, which is people, as Marlo stated earlier. Yeah, exactly. Look, mm -hmm. It frees us up to ideate and to dream and, and, yeah. and, and to have ideas and to be creative, to have true innovation, not just reactively being like, okay, I need to do this, and then I need to do this, and then I need to do that. That's, that's what we're in so much of the time. I mean, we're just going from one place to the other running from one thing to the next, just like, just trying to get over the pain from the last burden that we've experienced. It's like the great ideas, the great innovations. I mean, part of me thinks that they, that they come through incredible, crazy, tragic, <laughs> insane experiences with life, like the coronavirus, like COVID has shown us so much about ourselves that we never could have understood before. But it's like, really, one of the big aspects of that is that, is that we were kind of taken out of the grind. It's not just that, we, that, that life and darkness and pain and suffering and this the threat of scarcity has motivated us it's that we have the time to meditate on what it means what does this all mean and i think really like the greatest source of innovation is need and 
I think really to kind of shift more toward a, a more macrocosmic perspective, the, the world that is going to come about, the, the new thing, the new society, the new way of life, the, the post-communism, capitalism, socialism, the real new thing is going to evolve out of the direct needs of this, this deeper realization that we are all connected, we are all part of this earth, and that if we continue living in this extractive way where we are just taking from other people and, and exploiting and dominating other people, if we continue in these hierarchies that will always require slavery and servitude and theft and the exploitation of someone, we are going to die, all of us. We're all going to die, and we don't want to die. Uh, I don't want to die. Uh, some people might. I don't. Uh, I want to keep living a long time. I want to have a, a fulfilling, beautiful life. I want to make lots of art and cook lots of beautiful meals, whatever. But we all want to do this. We want to live. And the world that is going, the new world, the beautiful new thing is going to come out of the weird set of circumstances that the limitations that that creates for us, that we cannot pollute, that we cannot take, we cannot eviscerate biodiversity. We can't do these things. And we as humans, we need to treat each other well too, because if we treat ourselves poorly, this is another key, 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 key aspect of Bookchin's philosophy is that the uh, environmental destruction we see elsewhere is a res direct result of the exploitation and the hierarch hierarchical domination and exploitative abuse <laughs> that we inflict on each other. That the world is broken and, and we take from our environment because we take from each other. And it's not, for, it's not the other way around. We, don't, we didn't learn this from nature because nature does not do this. Nature does not treat itself this way. I couldn't have said that better on a good day. That, that was amazing. Thank you for yes, reminding you us all of why mic, we're here. <laughs> Throwing <laughs> a fire out there. We all got it in us. I don't, I don't know. I just it. need a trigger, I guess. <laughs> I mean, is the end of the world not a big enough trigger? I, it depends on how tired you are. Amanda, I need you ranting like, like the entire fate of not just your life, but the, the whole world depends on it because it does. You too, Matt. Actually, that brings me back to uh, Matt. I want to ask you about your book because you have oh, yeah. been studying this phenomenon sure. in RBE and Moneyless Society. You're writing the book on it. Literally, what, what have you learned? Sure. What is your vision? Let's get, you, let's get you on that hot mic. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, so I've, I, I recently read uh, David Graeber's book, Debt, uh, The First 5,000 Years, and it was really, really enlightening, honestly. Uh, like one of the biggest takeaways that I got from it was money. I mean, it's, it, the, the history of money is really messy, right? It, it didn't just, you know, pop up one time, one day in one way, and then just kind of some straight evolution evolved from there. It is all over the place. It's, it's, it's kind of like Swiss cheese, you know, it like went over here and came out and popped its head over here and then re retreated again and came out and it, it, it's really messy, but there's one kind of common theme and, 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 Usually, when money came out, it it, re, it was the result of either uh, slavery or violence or war or um, exploitation or debt or um, or just degradation. You know, like like say if one of the one of the ways like payments and things kind of came about in the in in the ancient world was. Uh, if if you had harmed somebody else, right? If you got in a fight with someone and let's say you, you killed them, right? Uh, you would owe their family something. They didn't just kill you, you know? You didn't go to jail like you did today. You didn't, uh, you know, get your head cut off a lot of the time. But say if you got in a fight with a guy and you, and you ended up stabbing him and killing him, then you would owe his family 
you know, like three cows or whatever it was. And, uh, and a lot of situations like that, it, it kind of, those, those sort of situations repeat themselves over and over and over again. And a lot of these basically finance impersonalized everything, right? And, and when people were mean to each other, that's when money came in right? Because they needed to quantify a specific thing. They needed to quantify a specific wrong that was done like from one person to another. And, and the whole thing got really crazy when you started uh, being able to trade money for things that weren't normally being traded for money in the past. That's kind of when the situation went, went wonky. And, and a lot of human values kind of went out the window at that point, you know, when, when you could, when all of a sudden, you know, you could trade money for sex. That wasn't really a thing back in ancient times. You know, sex was actually, uh, like in, in Sumerian times, uh, it was a very sanct sanctified sort of thing. It wasn't looked down upon, right? Like casual sex even. It was like glorified, you know? And you went into these temples in ancient Sumeria and things like that. These were like places of like lovemaking and beauty. Procreation was like a thing you did, right? But but <laughs> casual lovemaking was like casual lovemaking was like the shit, you know? <laughs> it wasn't looked hmm. down upon at all. But that all changed when money came into the situation because it had a lot to do with uh like say a father's um trying to protect his daughter's virginity and things like that. Uh, a lot of these types of different situations, like when money came in, it basically just just threw the game all all off in a completely different way and um real quick real super quick tangent uh Chance sure mckenna said that the uh the root of all of our social disease and the concept of ownership itself comes from uh tracing uh, tracing bloodlines along the male paternal paternal line so like that's my child that's me that's mm -hmm. my thing that's my line that's my genetic material as opposed to like more orgiastic and communal situations where they would have people would come together and have sex as a group, everybody getting in, mixing it in, mixing everybody's mm -hmm. genetic material together. So you don't really know whose child is who because the child doesn't belong to you. It's not you. It's the, it belongs to the community. It belongs to society and the earth. Matt, keep going. I'm riveted. <laughs> no, and, it, and it's interesting though, because that's kind of like where, where a lot of the ancient concepts of money uh, origi originally came from. But then, then it kind of went through this other transformation, uh, you know, when capitalism arose. And uh, is it Giannis? I, I hope I pronounce his name. I, I want to say Giannis Verifucus. There you go. Um, My dude. He, he has, he, I, I read one of his books. Giannis, called, if you're listening uh, to this, please come on our show. <laughs> yeah, I read his book, um, you know, talking to my daughter about the economy. It, it kind of simplifies a lot of these, you know, arguments, but but he he, he sums it up so well. Uh, and, and he called it the great commodification. And essentially, that was, uh, it, it happened in, in a period of back in, uh, you know, England around you know, for maybe sometime starting in like the 12th, 13th, 14th century. And essentially, what happened was global trade routes uh, opened up. Uh, you know, through ship making and technology and things like that. The compass was invented. The wind-powered sawmill was invented, uh, along with several other technological innovations. And, and all of a sudden, trade routes that were previously not available, available opened up. And what this did is uh, it created a lot of wealth through trade for merchants that were utilizing these new trade routes. They would specifically kind of, you know, they'd, they'd have their routes where they would trade, 
you know, like uh, wool for swords and then swords for spices and then spices for something else. And then they'd come back and with a heck of a lot more goods than they started out with. And they'd trade that for a heck of a lot more wool and repeat the process, right? And these guys became extraordinarily wealthy doing that. Even though they weren't trading money, they were still trading goods. Uh, but essentially, what happened is uh, all these like feudal lords in England and whatnot, they said, well, we want to get, uh, you know, a part of this trade. And, and at that point, uh, they weren't really able to partake in it because they weren't growing anything or they weren't producing anything that was viable internationally. Uh, they were, you know, mainly like fruits and vegetables and, and things like that they were growing on their property, you know, but you can't, you, cabbage isn't going to survive a month long journey across the ocean. So they essentially started enclosing their properties, uh, kicking the peasants off the land and growing wool instead because wool would survive these journeys some of the peasants stuck around to help grow the wool but there were thousands upon thousands of peasants that all of a sudden had no place to live they really didn't have any other choice except to walk down the road and start asking people hey i'll work for you if if, if i can have a place to live you know in food within you know a few maybe decades or a few hundred years or something like that most of this took place in england and all of a sudden a labor market was created out of this where a labor market hadn't really existed before because you had all these people who were suddenly looking for subsistence in return for their labor. Uh, when, when before that, they just had these feudal arrangements, you know, with the lords and everything. Um, but then after that, uh, you know, they, land essentially started being traded as well because the feudal lords didn't want to run these properties so they would they would sell them or rent them to these peasants and then these peasants would look after the sheep right and and so at that point now you had land being traded as a commodity as well all of a sudden you have labor being traded as a commodity and you have land being traded as a commodity also the final the final uh stick the the final thing in that trifecta there is the means of production right so when uh maybe you know 100 or 200 years later if if even that long factories started to come about because now you had peasants or landowners you know that were trying to produce more with various machines and mechanisms and technology and all of a sudden these factories started to bring up and so that's kind of when the roots of capitalism really took place right so now you had now you had labor being traded you had land being traded and you you had the means of production uh, being traded. And that's kind of like, it's really the roots of capitalism is kind of how it took shape there. And you have the Dutch East India Company and all these other companies that kind of ended up forming, uh, you know, around the same time and doing all this global trade and everything too. But it took those three things that were never really traded before and it made them commodities, um, you know, that when they weren't commodities in the past. And they kind of stuck around. That's that's essentially what our modern capitalist system is based on. You know, now the trade of land, the trade of labor, and the trade of means of production. And and the world just kind of took that and went nuts with it. And now it's capitalism on steroids. I was even reading a, uh, reading a book the other day that says capitalism is dead. And now, now we're getting into a, a new sort of feudalism almost, where where the capitalists are really owned by people like Jeff Bezos now. Jeff Bezos is like beyond capitalism. He he was he's almost kind of a new sort of a neo they called it neo-feudalism. He doesn't necessarily own the means of production. He owns the things that own the means of production kind of. You know, he's like taking this to the next level. They they called it vectoralism. They're using a position 
of power to control massive amounts of resources that are beyond really what you could entail under capitalism. Essentially, we're almost becoming serfs to feudal lords like Bezos and Zuckerberg. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like we, we hit a certain point and we, we stopped progressing forward and started. Mm -hmm. And it's around that point where we actually developed total abundance. We developed total the ability to meet every human's needs on this planet 10 times over. That's when, because the power structure was stacked so completely in the favor of the, of the extremely wealthy and powerful, and they had created such a divide between themselves and other people that they, they'd really, you lose something of yourself. I was reading this, this uh, study last night that was about why people in power, they lose their ability to read a room. They, really, they lose their ability to understand other people and, and even to, to basically activate the same understanding that allowed them to gain that power in the first place, that power and especially incredible amounts of money literally act on your brain in ways that make you inhuman. They make you sociopathic. They make mm. you less able to understand the, 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 uh, the experience of other people. And it, it's not that there are bad people doing this on purpose. It's that when you alienate yourself so completely from what it is to be human, from what it is to socialize with others, from what it is to need other people to get back to date Graber, he talks about how debt in its original form is a good thing. It's like you want to owe your neighbor something. You want your neighbor to owe you something. It's like, oh, you helped me out. I'll help you out. But if you're at this point where you literally have the, the money that you don't need anything from anyone, you are not a human being anymore. You are something else. And I guarantee you, I really, really, really want to see studies done on the brains of billionaires and extremely wealthy millionaires because I guarantee you, it's, it's like the difference between a a, a neanderthal and a homo sapien it, you are you lose yourself you lose something totally mm -hmm. and it's it's not an individual thing yeah and and to piggyback on that it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because um you know we, we have the group on facebook right moneyless society occasionally occasionally get the uh the random troll that comes in there right uh but there's this one one guy that was pretty interesting he's actually you know a trust fund kid right He's, he has like 20 some odd, you know, million bucks in the bank or something from a trust fund. And uh, I'm not, not going to name his name or anything, but the guy's, the guy's kind of a troll, you know, comes in there and just, you know, messes with people. He's like, ha ha, yeah, you, you sure sound like a good Christian, Matt. You're like, you're really, you're really helping people. But he's, of, of course, being sarcastic. <laughs> and, um, yeah. but, but, you know, because I've, I've had several conversations with him and, uh, he, the guy really thinks that he's better than everyone else, right? He thinks that he thinks that he is more deserving to have a trust fund with twenty million dollars in it because for some reason he and his father worked harder, they did they did more, they've contributed more or something, and, and they are more deserving to have that money, and that it's rightfully so, right? That that there will always be rich and powerful people who are better than than poorer people and 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 to me it was kind of like it really hit home the point because i was i was looking at a study there was a study done a while back about um where, where where these uh people were playing monopoly with each other right they totally rigged the game for one person to win they it was a flip of the coin so one person played the regular way but the other person who didn't benefit from the coin flip essentially got a handicap in every way shape and form right instead of instead of passing go and collecting a $200 they only passed go and collected $100 right instead of using two dice they could only use one dice right <laughs> and 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 they essentially just cut their abilities in half 
right on this game and of course every single person with the you know who could follow the original monopoly rules won right they they amassed immense wealth right off you know right from the beginning and they completely dominated uh the other player every single time right there was no there was it wasn't even a competition anymore essentially because you know the other person just didn't have a chance right from the start however almost every single time they asked that person why did you win and they would come back and they would say oh it's because i played better because i did a better job at the game <laughs> and it, and it was funny because you would think sitting there playing this game knowing that the other person is literally got handicaps in the game. They're only using one dice. They can only, right? They're, I mean, just every possible rule that it was stacked against them and the other person sitting on the board and they even started acting that way at the board. They would they would be more aggressive. Uh, they had a bowl of, of snacks on the table. The person who was winning started eating more snacks. They started, they started just diving into the bowl of snacks and, and gorging themselves. They would, uh, they would slam their hands down on the table, right? When they, when they, when they would roll the dice, ram, you know, and they would start talking loud and aggressively, right? And the other person you know, was you know, kind of doing. Monopoly was actually created as a caricature of capitalism. It was made to show people how fucking badly winning and <laughs> and dominating other people makes you. So I, I kind of want to bring right. Jay back into this and. It, it seems yeah. like the community that you've built, I, I mean, have you actually created models of this that are working today or? We're still designing all the details. So it seems like you're really trying to create a, a version of Monopoly where everybody wins. Right. I mean, kind of weird to say, kind of an oxymoron <laughs> to say a version of Monopoly, but sure. It's a resource-based Monopoly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so everybody us, gets $200. Us, <laughs> so tell whatever. us more about your your co your community and the progress and and what your plans are for uh you know the future where, where things are looking. Really really curious to hear, you know, kind of what stage you are in all this and um you know where this is going, maybe some sort of the timeline, uh you know if any costs are involved and you know how how, how do you really plan to bring this to fruition and 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 when? What's what's that looking like? Yeah, so I mean, we've had over 500 volunteers contribute to the project uh, to this point. We think wow. we've got another couple years of design work. And for us, the design work is the open sourcing everything as we go. So it takes a lot longer because we're open sourcing and free sharing all the designs. And like we have pages on the, as we complete engineering, then we work with the engineers to write out complete reports and we turn those into web pages that describe exactly, you know, how we did the engineering and what the process was. So if somebody wants to, engineer something slightly different they have a blueprint for following to, for understanding how the base model was designed so that they can then create a fork off of that and create their own version you know so we think we've got two more years before we're ready to start construction um you know if it takes longer that's fine i'm financially you know i ran my own business until about 10 years ago and i liquidated all my assets and uh i can continue to do this for another 10 years if i need to you know to be able to, and because we're a hundred percent volunteer organization including myself, you know, it costs money to run one community at this point. Um, but it doesn't cost a lot because we're a whole or a completely volunteer group, you know? And so we're just working on, like we've completed the education program is done. Uh, we're about to roll out phase one of our collaboration and cooperate our highest good network software. That's going to accelerate everything where we should be beta testing that hopefully by the end of the week, you know, if not this week, next week, for sure. I mean, I got the pressure on the software team for that as far as, um, the first village so the first village that we've designed is the earthbag village we chose earthbag construction because it's the most affordable you know earth is available everywhere it requires about 15 percent cement and we're going to open source that 
simultaneously with Air Creek construction, which has some benefits and some detriments from a sustainability perspective, uh, we'll open source those simultaneously and then decide which of those two design methods we'll use for uh, the first village to build the complete village. But in open sourcing the individual structures, we'll be able to open source the entire village because the plumbing will be the same, the electrical will be the same, uh, you know, and so then it just comes down to the actual structures and then we'll be able to extrapolate from the construction of one exactly how many hours it will take to build the entire village and so we can go through that whole process you know so that's that's our first construction is the earthbag village the duplicable city center which is you know three geodesic domes 17,000 square feet it's more technologically advanced and would be the starting point for any of the seven sustainable villages that we've designed uh, and then once we build those two along with the energy infrastructure and the food infrastructure that will create a template that would be replicable by pretty much anyone anywhere really really affordably and people could set themselves up with an eco community and then following the social architecture construct and everything that we've designed as well you know they could and the education model like i said that's ready to go you know they could eliminate 90% if not more of the bills that most people are dealing with get themselves out of debt and be able to create true freedom for themselves you know, and join us in the process of, if they want, open sourcing their modifications and adaptations of what it is that we've created so that there's now alternate other versions, other iterations of the model for people to choose from as well. Do you, do you plan on, I, cause I know, I know right now there's, 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 um, I don't want to say it's low tech, but there's not a lot of like automation going on within the communities and stuff like that. Do you, do you kind of see yourself incorporating more of that kind of down the line, you know, heading towards more of the automation sort of stuff, like the Venus project is kind of envisioning and stuff like that. Do you, do you, is that kind of in your plans for the future too? Or Yeah, it's definitely possible. You know, it's one of those things that, so in the model that we've created, there's such a huge surplus of labor. And um, right. the experience of doing something like gardening is ridiculously relaxing and fulfilling for me and a lot of people and there's such a diversity of options available that um you know for people that don't want to do something like that it's like well great well you, you rather sit in front of a computer fantastic we have you know an infinite <laughs> amount of video that needs to be edited and we have social media and there's just so many different things or oh you don't want to do that you'd rather work with kids fantastic we've got 50 that are you know you know so there's so such a diversity of options that so thus far because we're keeping it simple and we're thinking of a global solution we haven't put a lot of time and energy into that and the idea being that once the community is established like the most there's some pretty cool open source stuff out there that i'm sure you've probably seen where it's you know it plants the seeds it waters the seeds right. it's like man that is really cool and so <laughs> at that point when we get to the point where the base model and this this applies also to like we've seen people have said how have you seen the 3d the 3d printed homes which are becoming more and more popular uh the issue with that is it's not an open source solution like there's no open source large-scale 3d printer um and even if there was you know if you're living in a third world country you're not gonna have the resources to replicate that you know so so we're starting with the basics and things that anybody can apply anywhere. And once that foundation is established, if not us, somebody else will do a version of it that's automated, you know? And so my short answer to that question is, is yes, probably, but we're not putting a lot of time and energy into it because it's not a part of the base model because it's not as replicable. So speaking of replicable um, and the base model, you said that the goalpost may be only be two years out. That's an exciting and clearly ambitious uh, goal to be setting. 
anything less than a decade, uh, you know, is is uh, gold. Because goodness knows we're all tired of waiting on something like this to come to life. Um, yeah. But again, in contrast with uh, the Venus Project's aims and proposals. I just see your designs being what could possibly bridge the world from here to there. TVP, again, they do have some just very highly scientific, technologically advanced aims and proposals, which definitely will benefit mankind and are probably necessary to realizing a completely resource-based economy. But in the meantime, if we can just start moving people, shifting people into that direction, that's what matters and that's what your community uh, designs will accomplish. And on that note, anyone who's listening, uh, there will be links included to his website and his blueprints and all of his open uh, open source stuff uh, in the description. Well, I was just going to say real simply that everybody that uh, comes to a community like that is is liberated, is free, is and is is free to dream in a in a much more powerful way. I mean, even the geometry of these 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 worlds that we inhabit are limiting. You know, the the square walls of this room that I'm in right now. You know what it does to the acoustics. It makes them bounce around in aggressive ways. I, I've actually been, you know, to a lot of eco villages and to places like Taos, New Mexico, and to a couple of towns, secret towns that I can't talk talk about. But I've seen Earth ships. I've seen, you know, uh, incredible sculpted, almost like alien sand castles made of volcanic material and scoria. And and I've built Earth ships. You know, and, and I've been inside of them. And I don't know if anybody listening doesn't know what an Earth ship is, but it's it's like it's an incredible mix of what is very new and very old. It's dug four feet into the earth or so to be remain the temperature of the earth all year round with no heating or cooling. The, the walls are made out of earth, which is, it can be sculpted into anything. This house that I was in had this amazing uh, fireplace that was all sculpted into like this vaginal form. And you can build, you can sculpt right into the wall. There's no limitation on what you can express. And it's like, there's a, a, a south facing wall that absorbs heat through the day and it will remain warm all through the night and it will remain cool in the summertime even in great heat i mean it's like it's technology that requires no inputs it doesn't require mechanization and that is in so many ways way preferable than all these electrical inputs like i saw the other day that they're they're developing this super white paint that you can paint on the roof of something and it just bounces hot air off it, it's functionally an air conditioner that that the solutions are a lot simpler than we think they are and i think when, when people can just get into an environment like that, a good environment, a healthy environment, so many more of our problems will be solved because people will just have the time to think about them. They'll be nurtured and, and they'll, they'll be well-fed. And I think health and nutrition and, and all of these aspects of working with the earth, gardening, all of these things are profoundly healing. They bring us back into connection with ourself. And that's truly the potential of, of, of any community, of community, that no solution no mechanized, no mechanized future that doesn't isn't isn't dependent on community as a central pillar of human life is completely wrong because that's how we we put our heads together like we're doing right now with this podcast. We're growing and learning, and we're completely we're we're way smarter together than we are individually. That was not short. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't just. I, I, I know Never be sorry for that. There was, there was something that I wanted to add too, Jay. Um, uh, you know, I I could see um your project going along really well with um something like open source ecology. Are you familiar with open source ecology and oh, the global course. village? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Marsh and, and I uh, had many conversations. Yeah. To me, it's like you guys, like he's like you're doing the community 
design aspect of it and he's kind of doing the almost the counterpart you know the the industrial the machine aspect of yeah, it. yeah the machine aspect of it too and it's kind of like yeah i mean it's been a few years since i've talked to him but last yeah. at one point i said you know when we get this thing up and built will you help us come build a machinery shop and he said absolutely you know so open source ecology in my opinion is the organization the most aligned with our values and goals in the world right now that i'm aware of you know what they're doing fits with what we're doing beautifully you know nice. it's a different different angle on it but the idea is still about creating freedom for people and you know creating machines that you can fix yourself so you don't have to throw it away and go buy another one and everything's modular so it goes together which you know we are built on that principle also i talk a lot about sustainable communities but everything we're doing is designed to be modular so people that don't want a sustainable community can just build a sustainable home or run a home-based education program or you know install their own energy infrastructure or grow something that they've never grown all those from my perspective are steps in the right direction and so um but yeah open source college is amazing uh and it, yeah. it is funny to me that somebody would be like i don't want a sustainable community i want a <laughs> yeah. sustainable community <laughs> that right. was my next candle was, at both ends that was actually <laughs> my next question for you jay ha, have you gotten a lot of pushback on your ideas because to me it's like you know you hear about like you know the venus project or i don't know communism or socialism stuff like that and a lot of people are really opposed to these ideas have you gotten have you gotten a lot of people who who look at your idea of this sustainable community and they're like no i don't like it that's not going to work and, and you know how often does that happen and and what are their arguments about something that you're actually doing here you know uh, you know, we used to get a lot more pushback than we are now, but we've really clarified throughout our website that what we're doing is open source. So if people don't like it, they can do it differently. That it's modular. So if people don't like the big picture, they can build any part of it that they want to. And equally as important is that we're we're not attached to our way of doing it as the right way, you know? And so, um, you know, so we don't try and press, we're really careful not to try and impress upon, even though like one of our, our, one of our foundational values is for the highest good of all, you know, and if you read that page, you'll see that it's really clear that we make it that, that we're saying, Hey, we're doing the best that we can for the highest good of all. We don't claim to have all the answers. And that's really been a really important distinction for us to make because we used to get a lot of pushback and people saying, Oh, you're Marxist or, Oh, you communist. And man, I've got used to get, a, I've gotten a few emails where it's like, man, somebody's up at 12 o'clock at night, drunk, just wanting to be angry at somebody because there's just so many spelling errors. And I mean, this is a rant that somebody was really had to get this out and I get to receive it. So, and we don't really get that anymore, which is pretty awesome, you know? And so I think that we've, we've succeeded in really clarifying our message and, um, and creating something that we believe has something for everyone, you know, and, and we continue to refine that process through highest good being one of our, our core values. It's one of the things that our management team talks about a lot is like, how can we make this accessible to more people? You know, how can we make it more modular? How can we make sure that, you know, it's it's provided in such a way that that technical professionals and engineers are going to be able to use it but also common people that don't have that background can still see it and you know we get two different types of feedback on our website you know, half the people love it because it's got so much information and the other type of feedback we get is oh your website has so much information it, you know i get lost in it you know and so that's the biggest thing that we're trying to solve you know and engineers are the ones that love it because of the information and visual people like graphics designers and web designers things like that they're all the ones that always say the opposite of that and so um you know Jay, that's one Jay, of those things as soon that we're as y'all get well. a, as, as soon as y'all get the first village up you give me a call and i'm going to come out there and film it 
Yeah. Ah, cool. That'd be wonderful. That's, that's my, that's my, that's my thing. That's to, you can cram so much information in there and to kind of touch on, on Matt's question that like, I think that, and the communism, socialism, anarchism, I, I heard a, a beautiful definition of anarchy or anarchism, anarchy, anarchism is, is a lack of ideology really, but it's anarchy is that many worlds are possible. And I think that's really what your, what your project epitomizes that there are exactly. many different worlds that can work together that as long as our communities are sustainable, and as long mm. as they're not, you know, founded on some racist value or some exclusion or some violence, that we can live in many different ways. We can, you know, we, we can cohabitate in many different ways without a centralized, domineering, you know, sense of, so long as we change the value system, so long as our ultimate value is sustainability and the ability to thrive. So just kind of getting back to Matt's point, the, the hurdles, and I think the ideological discursion is one of the great hurdles that you know, anarcho-communists and communists don't get along and socialists and democratic socialists don't get along that we're getting boxed off into all these really rigid ideological things that ultimately just turn into a big game of cosplay or something. It's ultimately keeping us from being open and fluid and adapting to the needs of the world and to creating something and working together. I think that is really what we need. We need to work together. We need to bring together a global network of people like you, people like uh, the other group that Matt was talking about on the tech end, we really do, instead of something that is a centralized one group of people plans the whole world, it's like the world is a, is a vast and beautiful place and it's very different. You know, there are, there are regions like the Appalachian Mountains that a, a, a sort of community that was created in a coastal environment just wouldn't really work with. And there are all kinds of people to fit those different regions. And I think that's the beauty of humanity is that Differ, our, our environments uh, push us to create ideas and to ideate and to create and, and adapt differently to our environments. So right. uh, I want to kind of shift to Amanda real quick because we keep talking about the Venus Project, and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have no fucking clue what that is. So I just want to turn it back to Amanda, who I'm going to continue to poke and prod to speak because Jesus <laughs> Christ, you're such a brilliant ranter. I love getting you to rant. It's amazing. We got to get that hot mic going. If yeah, only we Amanda, could get it on air, right? Uh, but we're getting Matt. It on air right now. I'm going to push and prod. No, no, Amanda, Amanda, I'm holding you to it. I want you to talk about it. What, what is your vision of an RBE? What is your vision of, you know, pulling from the Venus Project and other visions and other ideas? What do you see as the, the end goal, you know, or, or at least a, a, a beautiful vision to strive toward? Oh, that, that's a beautiful setup because this whole time I was listening to you and Jay and Matt with, with, the, with the most recent uh, subtopic about expression and design. In a monetary society, a society obviously FSC cannot be achieved uh, and nor can ultimate or optimal uh, artistic expression. The money stands in the way of that as well. You can't access certain resources. You can't put things together. And you can't birth the visions that you have in your mind that are better for everyone. Uh, and, and that is something that the Venus Project uh, does aim and propose to, to bring to fruition, just like Jay here does with One Community Global and all of their unconventional community designs. That's something that I look forward to perhaps more than anything, because excuse me, being from the Appalachian region myself, if there's any feedback that I get more than another, it is the propensity to assume that any design 
uh, that is cosmetically unconventional in contrast to, uh, you know, our square, unimaginative uh, boxes that we live in from the homes and our offices and, and our, t our schools and what have you. It's just unimaginative uh, dystopia. If it's in contrast to that, then it must be a utopia, which to everyone is unachievable. And that's simultaneously discouraging and amusing to look in from the outside, per se, someone who's been in that room, that square, and has stepped out and is now looking back in going, how can these people not see how nonsensical, irrational, and unimaginably they're living their lives and for no other reason but to worship the dollar to make sure that everyone survives based on numbers that are arbitrary. Uh, so yeah, the Venus Project obviously um, has aims and proposals to bring to fruition um, unconventional designs, and that can put people off. And they can go, I don't want to live in a round building. I don't want to live in a dome. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have that. I want my square. We live the way we do because conformity is what fuels the system like there has to be conformity to exact austerity on people and that's another part of the paradigm that we have to shift away from we have to be we have to be okay with something different with something new we have to be ready to embrace artistic expression instead of fear it just because it's different but that's something again that money just pulls wool over our eyes about it's kind of funny i have a i have a three-year-old son and he watches this show called number blocks and um <laughs> They, 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 they use blocks to illustrate numbers, right? So there's squares, right? Four is a square, nine is a square, 16 is a square. And they actually illustrate that by putting square blocks, right? But all the squares have a phobia to round things. <laughs> it's just, oh, this is it great. To <laughs> it totally, it totally just hit home. And it's just kind of like, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense from, a rational point of view. I think a lot of people are just going to kind of have to try it. <laughs> you know what I that's mean? Or it needs to be prevalent within some something that's close to them. You know, there needs to be a critical mass of people that are around them that are doing it and they can see that it's not a bad thing, essentially. You know, that's kind of how major change happens when when you have a critical mass of people around you that are participating in that action, uh, actually doing things in their own lives and then you can witness it, envision it, you see it, you hear it, it's right in front of your face, and you're like, well, maybe round things aren't so bad. That's what I was getting at, um, the fact that uh, JM1 Community Global and their legion of volunteers, uh, you know, they aim to bring something uh, tangible to the table so that people can witness these things being carried out and no longer be afraid of the possibilities. And that's obviously a vital, a vital stepping stone in the transition is showing people that there is nothing to be afraid of breaking the chains of their, from their oppressors and, and uh, healing from the Stockholm syndrome that's been so, so deeply socially conditioned for so long. Oh, I was going to say, you, just piggybacking on, because you were talking about changing people's values, and one of the, one of the core uh, goals of one community has been to create a place that when people experience that place, that they can't feel comfortable going back to their cubicle, to their, you know, 30-minute, hour-long commute, or even their 20-minute commute, you know, to an education system that they are not participating in in any way, shape, or form, where other people are teaching their kids, and it's just so hands-off that they don't get to be involved 
where the quality of their food is so low and it's sprayed with three different types of poison. I mean, all these different things where their environments are, you know, built with toxic materials, like that bigger picture of understanding, you know, really what the difference is and what's possible. And from that place, like inspiring somebody where, how do we create sustainability as a core value for somebody? Cause you mentioned, Hey, we need to make sustainability as a core value, you know? And so our approach on that is that we show them that, Hey, maybe sustainability might not be your core value, but if you build a radically sustainable life, you're going to have a whole lot more free time to spend with your family. So if that's a core value, this is a path to that. So now this becomes something that people might be more open to. And so the whole environment of one community is meant to do that. The idea is that when people come and visit and experience what it's like, they have access to all the information because it's open source through QR codes. They can just scan it on the spot and get information about everything surrounding them and understand what it is that they're involved in. But more importantly, that they're infected with the idea that this is a possibility and they no longer have to do that other thing that they've been doing to this point. They can choose a new path and we want to lay that path out. So it's like, great, you're you're infected good news we created the path for you like this is how we did this you know do it and do it better you know do it different but do something different like get moving in this other direction because now you see that it's possible and and you can amanda to speak to that that argument that you were lacking for why they're afraid of the of the round shape you know why the squares fear the circles i mean and it's like we've experienced that working on this film here in in uh, rural indiana like the this alien being is in this dope costume and they really look like a Marvel superhero or something with a cape and everything's purple and sparkly and it just looks amazing. And, and we've literally been greeted with violence here because people's worlds are completely gray and they're all harsh angles and cubes and it's all gritty concrete. It's all abrasive that just to see literal color they react with violence because it, it is an affront on their worldview because they're kept in constant fear. They're kept in constant anxiety and they conform not because they like it. It's like, do you want to die of cancer in your box or, or do you want to step out into another shape that actually does, that doesn't geometrically force you into a cube that doesn't geometrically simplify your existence that it allows you to open up. I think people are, are, people truly are afraid of their own mind. They're afraid of their own imagination. They're afraid that they will like it. Well, we've been taught to be afraid of it. We've been taught to suppress our artistic abilities and our artistic eye because in an indoctrinated system, you're not allowed to be expressionate. You have to be conformed so you can serve, not to sound nutty but the the, the slave masters the the ruling class the oligarchy you know the whatever you want to call it it's all one big thing it's a it's a class stratification and there's a humongous gap between the haves and have-nots and the have-nots they must put on their blue collar and serve so so yeah that that that's why the whole box of survival is so appealing because how dare we have a dream and go for it that, that could kill you if, if you drop out of society and lose your social status you lose your ability to survive even Absolutely. though society is killing them, even though every single aspect of our life, down to eating a fucking apple, is poisonous, it will kill you. Yep. And if we don't collectively, like Matt, you were speaking to the, the, the importance of mass movement, mass consensus, mass solidarity, really, we need models like Jay is building. We need to see that there are alternatives. Because people are terrified that if they think anybody trying to change things, they're like, oh, we don't want to burn it all down. Well, it's already on fire. And we need to transition. We need a lifeboat. We right, need something right. to get into. And that's really what you're building. 
And we need this. We need more and more communities like this that people who are defecting from this system, almost everybody I have ever met in my entire life, I guarantee you, does not feel happy, does not feel content, is not truly free. And even if they, even if they don't feel it 90% of their life, they're still so afraid of, of vulnerability, of, of somebody seeing them as a deviation from this system because they are so scared because if they deviate wrong, you can get fired. I mean, you, people talk about freedom. They talk about this as being a free country. It's not. But they talk about it in, in the, we spend most of our time at work and you can get fired at work for speaking your mind. We don't have freedom of speech at work. We don't have freedom of expression at work. People are afraid to branch out because they're literally afraid for their lives and they depend on this system. And that they, they've been trained like a dog to, to defend their master. Really, and it's like, I just, I wanna, I wanna say this to so many people. It's like, do you like being ruled? Do you like being refined to a box? Do you like not being self-sufficient? You think you're self-sufficient because you need money to live because you have your own money and you make your own petty consumer decisions, but you're really not self-sufficient because if your boss fired you, you'd be fucked and so would your kids. So, so leave, I'm, I'm, I, I will say this to any of you, leave, run. As, go as far away from the box as you can. I guarantee you there are already communities out there. I mean, they're, but they're out there. They really are. There are amazing, miraculous, wonderful things out there in this world, in this country, but you'll never find them in your screen and you'll never find them on TV and you'll never find them in your own box. You have to either create them or you have to go and drift and wander and experience true freedom because this earth is this, we are nature, as we've said before, and nature is intelligence. Nature is intelligence incarnate. And when you connect to that and get out of your own stupid way and tear down the walls of the box, nature, opt you optimize with nature, you sync it up. It's like when people uh, communicate with each other, our, our bodies and our hormones align. We are, we are genetically disposed to communicate with each other, to sync up, to believe. And that's why crowd psychology under a dominator culture is so dangerous. I'm, I'm just ranting out the ass. <laughs> no, no, you're doing so... great. And you've made a yeah. wonderful point, which you've, you, you've managed to sum up what we're all trying to do here and with this podcast particularly. And that's show people that they do not have to be afraid for their survival. They do not have to be afraid for their life to a degree that there are others out there who are daring to dream these things and build them. I can't even fathom the work that Jay and One Community Global's volunteers have put in. Like he mentioned earlier, building a machine shop. Like, Maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal to some people, but like building a shed would be uh, something overwhelming for me to conceive, you know? And I think most people would agree with that. So, but the point I'm trying to make is whoever's listening, if you're afraid to align with these values or explore them or share them, don't be, because there are more out there than you realize. There are more people out there than you realize getting on this bandwagon, if you will, and finally heading out of here one way, out of the box. Amazingly well said, Amanda. Marlo, you were talking about really wanting to solidify the idea of RBE. Is there more that you would like to dive into on that subject? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's that's kind of where I, I, I want to go. I really just want anybody who listens to this episode, hits play on it in whatever platform they do, that they have no doubt in their mind, like, okay, this could work. This is an answer. We have a solution. And I, you know, to my own dad, like, I, I just had to keep telling him, like, I do have the answers. Or I don't, but we do. We have the answers. The answers exist. It's not unfathomable. It hasn't been, it's not something completely new. There's no precedent for it. And we've all been striving toward it. And I, and I think in, in people's uh, rush to get away from being associated with socialism or anything like that, that's a, an attempt, you know? Like Richard Wolff says, it, even capitalism took many, many iterations and many, many tries and attempts and models to get to the horrible nightmare that it is today. 
And it's like all of those, those attempts, like Cuba or Chile or all these uh, socialist experiments that have been smashed completely by this incredibly unimaginative, insecure system. If this system was so strong and so efficient and so perfect, why would it completely need to smash any alternative? And that's something that, uh, you know, Jay and, and anybody building models like this, I do have a genuine, not necessarily fear, but I, I feel at some point, if enough of us do start defecting like this, the incumbents, as my old man says, will come after us and they will try to make it difficult and they will hit people with rainwater catchment regulations and all this stupid shit to try to stop this. And I think we need ultimately a, a mass consensus and we need a mass group of people walking away and, and moving toward these things. We need to be ungovernable. We need to govern ourselves. But yeah, Matt, I, to get back into that central point, I want to ask you specifically, how would it work? Right. I mean, essentially what we're doing, you know, I mean, and, you know, the ideal version of a moneyless society, not really a transition to it. You know, we, we have lots of different ideas about how we would transition, you know, to such a world, like with models like Jay's and such. And, um, you know, we've talked about cooperatives and things like that in the past and whatnot. But, you know, it, say, you know, decades, decades from now or 100 years from now, whatever, in an actual moneyless society, most of the labor that I think we see today would be eliminated. The, the labor that would remain would be the people, the work that people really value and they really want to do. Um, and a lot of it would be, you know, human to human interaction and, and service, like things like, you know, watching children, education, uh, you know, healthcare, doctors, and, and even some of this stuff will probably be automated, you know, in the distant future. But I, I, I like to, you know, look at uh, David Graeber's, you know, term as, as he so eloquently put it, uh, bullshit jobs, right? We're getting rid of we're getting rid of a lot of the bullshit jobs. And we're also eliminating a large portion of just the mundane, tedious, dangerous labor. Uh, as far as that's concerned, you know, there won't be any more McDonald's fry cooks, not not to say that it's, you know, a, a horrible thing that, you know, people do or something. I'm sure there's a lot of good people out there that, you know, work at fast food and whatnot. But essentially, a lot of jobs like that will be automated, they'll be eliminated uh, through technology, um, you know, harvesting of resources, electricity, even even building homes and things like that. A lot of that distant future, I mean, not even necessarily distant future, but in the idealized, you know, sort of moneyless society, uh, it would be, a lot of those things would be automated. And and there wouldn't be transactionalized reciprocity. That was, this, this was kind of a concept that I heard not too long ago. Instead of transactionalized reciprocity, where it's one-on-one, -on -one, say, I do something for you, and I expect a, an immediate trade, uh, it's, it's more of what you would call systemic reciprocity, right? Large scale systemic reciprocity where I know if I contribute today, I do what I can. And whatever it is, it might not even be today. Maybe today I go to the beach, but tomorrow, right? I'm educating myself or tomorrow I'm working in the garden or something like that. I know that the rest of the community is going to take care of everything else that needs to be done to reciprocate those efforts that I have put in as well, right? There is no immediate Recipro reciprocation that I get from going out there and working in the garden, except for knowing that I did something that needed to be done and that I'm contributing to the community, right? And that I know that everybody else is doing the same sort of thing. It's, it's a cooperative, systemic reciprocity model that purposefully eliminates a lot of the unnecessary labor, a lot of the unsustainable, uh, you know, models and fashions that society operates on. And, um, just really kind of creates that bedrock, this this cooperative bedrock where people know that 
you know, even though you don't see the entire big picture, you know, it's, you know, it's there, you know, it's, you know, it's working, you know, there are other people there that are doing their part that are filling in. And if one person fails, you know what, we have, we have other people too, that, that can come in and that can pick up where, you know, where that person may have fell short or, you know, whatever, whatever may have happened. It's essentially, you know, we don't let the system fail because we know that our livelihood, that our community depends on it, right? We know that our children's lives depend on this. We know that sustainability of our planet depends on these things. And it's, it's, it's not just for me, essentially, anymore. We're working for the, the entire community's benefit. And and it all rests like on what you're talking about, Jay. The highest good of all, right? We're we're acting in the highest good of all in a sustainable fashion. And sorry, what's the third one again? <laughs> open source. <laughs> open source, right? Exactly. And we're not expecting we're not expecting immediate reciprocity from it. That's kind of the systemic reciprocity again. You know, we're eliminating the transactional trade aspect of it, and we're just putting it out there, right? And we know that if we do that. And we trust other people uh, that enough of other people will, uh, you know, will do the same thing. What keeps people from just being lazy? I have an article for that. Mm, that's a good one. That's a common question. Um, I mean, uh, within our organization, as a 100% volunteer organization, one of the greatest things that we've learned has been to have an accountability structure. So we have a... Mm. We have a hands-off administrative policy that basically says that, hey, we come to this with an expectation, and if you're meeting that expectation, great. And if you're not, it doesn't require a manager to let you know that you're not. And in our case, that expectation is just contributing volunteer time to developing the project and keeping it moving forward. So if somebody is not meeting their their agreements that they came into the organization with, then they get what's called a blue square. And if somebody gets four or five of those, it's just it's it's just not a good fit, you know. So. I'm not sure if that's the answer you're looking for, but it's been one of the most profound learnings from us as an all-volunteer organization. Having that level of accountability has been um, exceptionally successful and pleasant for everybody involved. So And so things just run seamlessly, smoothly, and we don't have to have an administrator or a manager that has to enforce all of that. It's more like, hey, we come, we're transparent about our expectations. If that works for people, great, come play with us. This is what we're doing. And if that doesn't work for you, that's great too. Don't come play with us. You know, that's why it's open source, create something different. But that's how we operate. And so the same process will be on the property. That's, that's actually really interesting that you say that, um, you know, that, that people aren't a good fit out. In the process of, um, you know, redoing some research for my book and stuff, we're actually looking at uh, Maslow, you know, some of Maslow's That's exactly what I was going to bring up, Maslow's hierarchy of motivation. Yeah, Yeah, and and he actually, there was a really interesting quote by him that I I saw looking for. Essentially, he said, uh, he was talking about people who were trying to create a, uh, you know, quote-unquote, utopian society, right? And I'm sure I can find it here. Give me just like 10 seconds. I'm sure. I think the quote you're looking, are you looking for a quote? Cause I think the quote is if you want to create a utopian society, you need to have mm-hmm. utopian people, you know? So right. the idea is like, Hey, if you're going to create a, a, an RBE culture, at least initially while you're building it. I mean, once, mm-hmm. once something like this is really established and it's large, you know, you have such a surplus of everything that you need that people can be lazy within that environment and it doesn't disrupt the environment itself. But in the formative stages, you have to have people committed to the idea of like, Hey, we're great. We're, we're functioning for the greatest 
this greater good, you know, and that involves all of us. And so if I'm the weakest link on this team, then if I'm really interested in the greatest good, then I don't want to be that person. And so, you know, I've never in 10 years, I've never gotten a blue square for not fulfilling my requirements as part of the organization. And I don't, you know, nobody's telling me that I have to do this. I do it willingly because it's the right thing to do. So the easiest answer to that question is, is like, well, how do you keep people from being lazy? You find people that don't, that don't hate what it is that we're doing, that enjoy contributing, want to be a part of change and are willing to do that. And you create a system that's flexible enough so that, you know, when things come up, emergencies and stuff like that, that's all built into the system. So it's, it's, that's fine. You know, there's, there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, we're all on the same page and happy to be doing what we're doing because we enjoy it, you know, so it's not work. If people, if people want to participate in society, if they're in a society that they believe in, that they want to see, see improve, if they're not so alienated from their existence that like, I, I've worked at shitty jobs and I've been lazy because it's like, if I work hard, my boss gets $20 more or whatever, I get shit. And it's not just because of the, you know, honestly, it's not even just that. It's not that like the, the man gets more than me. It's like, I'm just, I've just been completely alienated from my labor. It's like, if I wash more dishes, right. do I see, do I really feel that? Do I really see that? It's just, it, it's endless. I mean, it's Marx's great term, the alienation of labor. We're alienated from our world. We're alienated from our impact on this world. But when we are participating in this world, when we feel that we are building something together, there's nothing greater. And to talk about, to get back to Maslow, people critique him because they think it, that self-actualization means self-mastery or like self you know, the self, the, the individual. But really, he switched that at the end of his life to self, from self-actualization to, to self-transcendence, that the greatest thing in the world is to transcend yourself, is to get over yourself, is to get to the point where you really do believe in and, and the, the fates of all the people around you are your fate, that it's not just about you, that, that you're not cut off and, and isolated and boxed off in your little square. You're a part of the human race. And when other people do good, you do good. And, and there's a tangible effect in that, that, you know, even if it's not good for you in this immediate moment, you, when you live in a community of people, you see if somebody's having a bad day, it has a ripple effect. If somebody's having a great day, it, it, it also yeah. has a ripple effect. It trends. Go ahead, right. I was just going to say, just two, two piggybacks on that. Yeah, so in Maslow's hierarchy of needs and consciousness, you know, so there's a highest good consciousness that's one side of that. And the other side of that that I just want to say is the idea of when we create environments that are truly supporting and loving, it makes it a lot easier for people to rise to that level of consciousness. Because there's so many people, I think, that carry that consciousness and believe like, hey, I want to do what's right in this world. But it's hard to do what's right in this world when you you can't feed your family. You know, it's hard to give to other people when people are struggling to meet their own needs, you know? And so a big part of, you know, an RBE culture back to the original question was like, what, what is it going to take to create an RBE and what are the nuts and bolts for that? Like, I think that we, as a culture, objectively, we as a culture already have all the pieces of that puzzle at our disposal. We have the ability to build our own homes. We have the ability to create our own energy, to grow our own food. We have the ability to cooperate and collaborate. Family units are already doing it. You know, groups are already doing it. Corporations are already doing it. You know, so if we uh, support fair and equal ownership so that everybody has a horse in the game, so that everybody has a stake in what it is that they're creating that's equal, then we can create an environment where we can work together, cooperate together, collaborate together to create something that we all own equally. And because of that equal ownership, that's the social construct where people um, 
feel a lot more comfortable giving, you know, like when, like you give the example of jobs that we've worked at where it's just like, Oh, am I even meaningful here? Is what I'm doing even appreciated? You know, what I'm doing is, is supporting somebody else rather than really giving to me, but within a community in an RBE environment, the idea is that, Hey, your contribution is part of the whole. And so the idea of oneness consciousness, that idea of, you know, what I do to help you is also helping me is a lot easier to support and, and roll in, in that type of environment. And so we want to create those types of environments as one community that's a that's a part of what we've put a lot of thought into so when it comes to the rebuttal to uh the laziness argument uh all of you have made feasible uh wonderful points about the fact that things like inclusion accountability uh reciprocal community all of that will foster uh anti-laziness for lack of a better term um if nothing else me personally i've been looking into uh a way to articulate and support the argument that laziness is artificial because we live in an artificial society as it is. Everything that we know is is fabricated. That is to say, when an individual spends 40 plus hours a week performing menial, redundant tasks that produce no other reward than garnering enough paper to access the resources uh, that they need to survive, uh, that is to say, in, in more layman's terms, if somebody flips burgers for 40 hours or more a week, serving hateful, hungry people, getting paid bare minimum wage, not able to pay their bills, and then suffer from socioeconomic stresses that manifest physically in their body as mental and physical illnesses, they're going to be perceived as quote-unquote lazy if they spend all of their days off or all of their time outside of work just sleeping or playing mm -hmm. video games or laying around or what have you, when in fact they're just trying to recuperate from a system that is making them sick. Hence, artificial laziness, because our innate artificial hierarchy of motivation isn't being addressed, let alone utilized. I tend to just assign a lot of homework. I mean, like, you can rattle off a synopsis of what an RBE is, but it's a lot to wrap your head around, especially if you're really tied up in the whole capitalist monetary thing to the point that you just can't fathom another way. Uh, so, again, to, to mention Marshall Selene's original affluent society, uh, I start with that and I just say, hey, go read this and then imagine applying those values to the technological advanced society we have today. Because what I'm usually met with is, oh, a male society, that means we'll have to be primitive again. That means we won't have luxuries. We won't have things to enjoy. You know, like like people tend to think that removing money will remove anything and everything they enjoy instead of realizing that removing money will remove the barrier between them and what they want. Yeah, and demonstrating that is the path to RBE is showing that, hey, when we remove the barrier, you'll actually have a more luxurious or luxuriant lifestyle than with, than you're living right now in this capitalist system. If we can demonstrate that, I think that's the viral movement that will transform our culture, culture you know, permanently and for the long term is to establish that, demonstrate that, you know, and there's already like Matt was talking about and Marla was talking about, like you visited communities, there's lots of communities out there that are demonstrating this pretty darn well right now. They're just not in the forefront. They're not open source. They're not teaching other people how to do it. They've just succeeded and they've checked out, you know, so we want to take the opposite approach. And this also addresses the issue of, of will, will the government or the powers that be 
want to squash a movement like what it is that we're doing? And my perspective on that is no, because we're at a boiling point right now. And the Occupy movement is a great example of that, of people that are frustrated, they're sick and tired of the way that things that have been. And the number of people that are being put out of job, put out of work because of automation and things of that nature, that number's not going down. That number is going up. And as that number continues to go up, you have more and more unhappy people. And so solution models like what we're talking about is the solution to that for the powers that be. Rather than having these people riding in the streets, you know, and taking to the streets with pitchforks and torches, like let's create sustainable communities where they're providing a valuable service to them, their families, their friends, their community, and, you know, the global community as well. And it doesn't have to be in conflict at all with the existing system. If anything, it's taking pressure off of the existing system. Right. It's That's removing people from that system that would be a burden otherwise or would be arguing or fighting against that system and instead saying, hey, we can do something really valuable and productive that benefits everybody. And so I think that that bigger system will support that in the long term. That's a really great viewpoint. I, I never looked at it that way, but honestly, that's that's a really cool viewpoint I think too. A lot but of, it makes a lot of sense too. Essentially, it's it's the alternative to massive social unrest. Yeah, exactly. And then for all the people that are looking for, you know, survivalist community or, you know, prepper community, things like that, it's that solution as well. That's that's great. Absolutely. I mean, this is why we're open source. By all means, those need to commit, they need to exist because there's lots of people that that is their focus. And the good news is for highest good communities that are about open source and free shared, like our version of this also addresses all of those problems, even though that's not part of our value structure of living in fear of societal collapse in the event that it happened. Yeah, this would be a great place to be, you know, and so that that you know that's that idea of something for everybody you know and all the different flavors of humanity are great because the people that are drawn to different versions of what it is that we're creating you know it can all be rbe and it doesn't have to be rbe it can be a capitalist model as well you know people can do that also if they want to so but within the environments you know it, like i said all the pieces have already been created individually and and even in some respects as a collective complete model it's a matter of um open sourcing and free sharing that in a way where the general public like has access to this so you know joe montana can drive in his pickup truck with his family and check it out and be like damn i want to build me a sustainable house because i don't have to pay the electric bill you know and i i like what you guys are doing well that's great you know do it and get people together we want to give people a black and white like hey if you get 50 of your friends together this is exactly how much it will cost for you to build something that will allow you to step out of this system this is exactly how many hours it will take this is exactly the step-by-step -step process this is who you need to contact to buy all your materials this is how you're going to deal with the county and how you're going to communicate with them this is it every step that you need to replicate what it is that we're doing and any pieces that you don't want leave them out it's all modular so you can take the pieces and and put it together however you want but if you want to be completely free this is what that looks like and how to get there uh, to to kind of piggyback off another point there the antidote to massive social unrest which is ultimately a ineffectual i mean so many there have been so many revolutions and power shifts and it corrupts and the force that was once the oppressed becomes the oppressor because they're still in this mode of scarcity they're still in this fear that somebody else will do to them what they did to the, they did to get where they are today so it's like the solution to massive social unrest is massive social rest in a way it's it's people getting yeah. true and genuine respite from the pressures of this system because so much revolutionary vigor today 
is motivated and fueled by the the gasoline fire of hatred of what this system has done to them of how many people have been slashed and burned and exploited and hurt how many people's parents and children have been stolen from them all the time that we've lost all the love that has been smashed out by this horrendous machine that is killing the entire earth beneath our feet that doesn't truly benefit those people at the top because they're killing their own earth and they can tell themselves exactly. i'm going to go to mars and i'm going to terraform it and that's fucking ludicrous it's a ludicrous <laughs> thing it's it's not it's maybe possible i mean and i think ultimately the earth is telling us something there's this beautiful uh terence mckenna is one of my one of my favorite speakers uh, miss him every day but um he he's talking about this this he's he's standing in his garden and he's looking out at a tree and there, there's a one dead limb on the tree. He said it upsets his sense of symmetry because there are vines all the way up at Cappy Vines, this second component of uh, ayahuasca. And there are vines growing all up the vines except for on this one gnarled limb. And he, he was looking at it. He noticed it. And right when that he noticed that, he, the limb cracked and broke off. And he noticed that that vine must have known something in the resonance of that limb that it was broken, that it was going to die. And in that same way, he extrapolates that the earth knows that the sun is going to explode someday that this earth will not last forever and it needs it needs us to leave eventually it does need us to be extraplanetary it does need us to be able to be able to go to another earth and colonize it or another planet or to spread life or to ascend whatever whatever the plan is but the point is that all that we're going through right now it's like this this beautiful fire drill this this it's a test run for the death of the earth that we need to be confronted with the reality that we will die and we need to but we need to leave this earth on good terms on healthy terms we can't ex- export our destruction and chaos and uh, self-devouring cannibalistic explosive destructive mode of life into the stars because it will just bring more war it will bring mutiny it will just end in an embarrassing defeat a piece of junk drifting through the stars you know with without even a memory of what this earth was or could be and what it can be today with the technology that we have today could be astounding we could create marvels beyond our wildest dreams but we can't dream if we don't have sleep we can't dream if we don't rest if we don't have rest from this system we cannot continue this wheeling cycle of of reactivity that keeps us going and then i've i've spent 2 years trying to make this film that's trying to express these thoughts these ideas this vision in a way that will touch people on a deeper level that people will will see and dream instead of just experiencing instead of just hearing instead of just being ranted at by some fucker in a tin can you know in their earbuds on their way to work but we we can't continue we can't we can't change this system if we're so deeply rooted in it we have to walk away and whether that means going into communities like Jay is building or it means building your own community or it means just drifting just just saying doing what i did and saying no thanks i'm going to drift until i find what i need i think i know that this is the answer and i don't i don't i'm not married to any of the language or any of the the patterns or any of the models and what i love about your model jay is that it's open source that it says okay you want to do it better you want to do it differently do it because there is no one answer there is no one path it's many paths <laughs> okay here we go bless you all all of our all of our revolutionary or visionary effort has to meet the the hurdles of climate change of ecological collapse it has to respond to this global circumstance that everybody is going through right now that everybody is striving to address and and some people can't address it right now they can't see it because they're so deeply in it they are still fighting for their lives 
but we have to change. We fucking have to change. We have to shift away from all these modes of destruction because they, they, they grow, they shift. One act of destruction, even the act of, of putting a bullet into the head of a fossil fuel executive, as much as I would like to do that, I just know it won't work. I know that's not going to end this because you kill Elon Musk and that's just going to create six smaller billionaires. It's a hydra because any attempt that, that, that sees uh, it's a class reductionist approach of saying, oh, we just need to kill the rich people and then the other people will be able to mediate. You know, those, those utopian thinkers that uh, Maslow was maybe talking about, they don't exist because it's all structural. There are moral uh, aspects to all of us and some of us have been granted or conditioned or gifted as I, I feel this, this last week. I spent time with my family and I, I always took for granted how much love they gave me and how much community I really did have, even though I felt alienated by this world. That, you know, there are good people, there are bad people, but the, the answer is not to sh switch out the good people for the bad people. It's to redesign society. We can do it. This is the way forward. The way forward is the way away from the bad thing. And I, I don't think attaching ourselves to any to like, oh, well, what would it be? I mean, I think anybody who's saying that is just afraid to step out the door. They're afraid to say, okay, this isn't working. We need to try new shapes. We need to try new, new methods. We need to say, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just don't have the answers. People out there have them. The earth has them. The, the collective intelligence of this planet has the ability to transform all of this suffering into beautiful abundance and poetry and song and great food and music and culture and all of this good stuff. We have the ability, we have the means, we just don't have the will. And part of that is trepidation in us individually. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to let it be known that we don't get down with this system, even though we all hate it. I mean, everybody gets in the break room and the boss isn't looking. Who are they talking about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you think they're ta they're bonding over the beautiful cardinal out the window? No, they're bonding at every restaurant I ever worked at. People talk shit. That's how they get through the day. They, they're not getting together and being like, how can we work together and pool our salaries to create a community off in the woods where we don't exploit each other? It's, we're just all so wrapped up in it. And we need to create new structures. We need to create new environments. But we can. You know, that's, I, I could keep talking, but I, always, you know, there's always more to say. But I think it's very simple. And I, I think there's, at, a, at a certain point, you just need to say, it's not complicated. We can fix this. That, that the, the, the reality of climate change is terrifying. And it, the Earth will die if we continue on this trajectory. But if we leave this trajectory, there's, I really truly believe that just as every day it accelerates, the death that is approaching us accelerates and gets closer and quicker, destabilizing faster than we can imagine it. But if we switch that value system, if we switch from fighting and maintaining this wheel of this system and shift toward the solutions and restructure society so that everybody's value, everybody is able to, to seek that together, we will get there faster than any of us can imagine. It won't take 10 years. It won't take 20 years. It won't be 2050. It'll happen when it happens. It'll happen now. It'll start happening. Every single moment will be another birth, another seed being planted. And very quickly, we will, we will be living in this world that we all dreamed of. I love it. Very well said. Very well said, Marlo. It's just the beginning. I, I think this it's is a great... I think this is a great episode, honestly. I think I think we've done a really, really great job with, especially you, Jay, and everything you're doing here. And you're very articulate, too. I love the way you talk, and it's just been a pleasure having you on here. Um, would you like to tell us uh, how, how we can find you on the internet, social media, uh, you know, if people are interested in learning more, where, where they can go? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, we're on all the different social media networks and you can find us just by Googling One Community Global or going to onecommunityglobal.org or Google One Community and pretty much anything related to sustainability and you'll find the exact page. So if I mention something like, oh, what's that Earthbag Village? Just Google Earthbag Village and One Community and let Google do the work. But you can also cruise through our website and find all that stuff there too. Because as I noticed, your website is so user-friendly for someone who's looking for solutions. That that also is something I want to comment on. So I urge, strongly urge everyone to give it a, a look, a look through, a thorough look through. You'll, your mind will be blown that these things have been constructed and laid out for your using. No individualized solution is going to work. And none of us can do this on our own. You know, what Jay is, has the vision for cannot be done alone. And, and to truly do this on a global scale it's only doable if we have a globe you know if we have if we have people taking responsibility for their part in this and accepting the adventure of uh, of the possibilities that they can make a difference even if you don't have the vision even if you don't have some you know some brilliant new conceptualization of how to do something we can all wash a dish we can all plant a seed you know and it 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 takes humility, I think, in a lot of ways to just realize, I don't know, that we're all in it together, really, and that, that we're kind of running a steam here. Um, uh, <laughs> but you're making good points. I, I think that was a great, I think that was a great ending right there, honestly, if you want to, if you want to end on that note, if, if nobody else has, has anything else to say, or if you don't have anything else that you want to add, Zach. Not until next time, right? <laughs> we, we definitely all have more to say, but uh, of course, Amanda, we'll save it you want to you want to close us out somehow? Oh, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> I always uh, will. Um, yeah, just off the top of my head, please stop kissing the rubber on the bottom of the boots of your oppressors and dare to dream and dare to realize your self-worth and dare to love your neighbor no matter what color they are or how much money they have or don't have. Just dare. Just take a day or a minute or an hour to do something that you have been conditioned to think you shouldn't do. See that you won't die. That, that you actually might find a reason to live and, and fight for a better world outside of the one that, that we're currently and unfortunately experiencing. And please, listen to our next show. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. All right. It. That's a wrap. So we are all working within the monetary system still to support ourselves and for the folks out there that really care about these projects and information and actually want to help us move these things forward, uh, you can go to our Patreon page and donate just $5 a month or more and that really helps us out. And just so our listeners know, this podcast isn't where we're stopping either. We're putting our money where our mouth is and we're doing everything we can to help create and build projects like the ones we're talking about on this show. Thank you for all your support. We deeply appreciate every single bit of it and we hope that we can continue to help bring information like this and more into the world well into the future thank you for listening <laughs>